rapture. To the choir master, according to the Gittith of Asaph, sing aloud to God our strength, shout for joy to the God of Jacob, raise a song, sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre with the harp, blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon, on our feast day. For it is a statute for Israel, a rule of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt. I hear a language I had not known. I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Salah. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me. There shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him, and their fate would last forever. But he would feed you with the finest of the wheat, and with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. Read that far from God's holy word. Pastor Charles Swindoll, I'm sure you've heard of. He's written about 70 books. He once found himself with too many commitments to complete. He was uh, writing too many chapters of too many books and too many articles, uh, all had deadlines. There were just a few days remaining before his uh, looming work had to be finished. So Pastor Swindoll was uh, personally getting nervous and tense about all this work. Here's a story of how God got his attention. The way he writes it, he says, I was snapping at my wife and children, choking down my food at mealtimes and feeling irritated at those unexpected interruptions throughout the day. He recalled as he wrote about this. Before long, things turned around home, started reflecting the pattern of my hurry-up style. It was becoming unbearable. I distinctly remember after supper one evening, Pastor Swindoll writes, uh, the words of our younger daughter. She wanted to tell me something important that happened to her at school that day. She began hurriedly, Daddy, I want to tell you something. I'll tell you really fast. And suddenly I realized her frustration. And I answered, Honey, you can tell me. And you don't have to tell me really fast. Say it slowly. And I'll never forget her answer. Then listen slowly. In worship service, we need to slow down to listen at the pace that God is telling us things. The pace of our lives doesn't match how God communicates to us sometimes in his word. What God is saying to us in worship when we meet with the Heavenly Father is something that we get from a God who is above time. He's outside the busyness of our lives. We sing and we give and we pray, but the most important thing we do in worship is to listen to God through his word being read and proclaimed. We listen for God's own voice, the spirit of God speaking through his word. We need to, as the young girl said, listen slowly because it takes time to get across to us the message that God would have for us that changes our hearts. This psalm Psalm 81 calls us to worship God and be thankful for his word. The Old Testament approach to Psalm 81 sounds like this. The people of God brought out of danger by the action of God at the Red Sea become the people under the word of God, which they were called to hear and obey. 
And you could have a New Testament approach to Psalm 81 that sounds like this. The people of Christ, brought out of danger by the rescuing action of Christ at the cross, become the people under the word of Christ, which they are called to hear and obey. So you see it's the same structure fulfilled for us through Christ. And this psalm refers to a feast. It could be either the Passover feast or the Feast of Tabernacles. Each of these two feasts was a remembrance of the Exodus. And so you see why that's mentioned here. When God brought his people up out of the slavery in Egypt, that Exodus was a picture of God's rescue of us. The Exodus wasn't just for the Old Testament people. It's prominently a lesson for us. As we read the Old Testament, it was clearly the main event in the Old Testament, just as the cross is the main prominent event in the New Testament. So this psalm is calling us to worship based on our need to be rescued and the fact that we have been rescued by God's action for us in the New Testament through Christ's death at the cross and his resurrection. So the main point is the centerpiece of our worship is when we listen to God and his word. What is our response? To rejoice, to remember and repent. First, to rejoice. The people would rejoice with this whole psalm itself, much like we rejoice at the abundance of harvest and Thanksgiving time in the fall. They would gather and give thanks to God for providing for them. The title of the psalm has the word getith, in it, which comes from the word gath, which means wine press. So it coincided with a grape harvest and served as a thanksgiving for the provision of grapes so that they could make wine, some wine used in worship and also used for their drinking. They didn't often have a good water supply, so they would make weak wine to store for the months ahead in order to have enough to drink. Here in verse 1, then the congregation is called to sing, to sing aloud to God our strength to shout for joy is a time of rejoicing that this psalm was used. In verse 2, the musicians were then asked to also raise a song and to play the instruments. Uh, the Levites, the ones who were trained with instruments, so verse 2 is inviting the Levites to go ahead and play. And the feast was celebrated with this great excitement, singing, shouting for joy, playing instruments. We get to verse 3, and the priests were asked to blow the trumpets on the feast day. They're marking out the days of the celebration based on the new moon and the full moon. And these special trumpets that the priests had were not what we're used to today with metal, metal trumpets, but rather they were ram's horns. The ram's horns sounded when Jericho fell with trumpets and shouting. They celebrated that victory. Here God asked them at this occasion again to look back to the times when they gained entrance into the land and how now they had plenty to enjoy in the land, to celebrate on this feast day by blowing the ram's horns again. So they would play those special horns or trumpets on days such as this feast day. And the sounding of the ram's horn itself would bring back an expression of joy and what God had done in the distant past, in the recent past, and an expectation even of what God could do in the coming month of celebration. And on days of worship, the celebration horns would bring people to a time of rejoicing before the Lord God. We get to verses 4 and 5, and it shows how the people were being directed by God what they should do. And what God had to say came from the source of his own law, the law of God. God had a purpose for his people. God was making that purpose known through statutes, through rules, through decrees, all mentioned here. And God was communicating to his people even through use of language, language they hadn't heard before could reference God himself speaking. Um, as it were, from the clouds, from heaven. And God was expecting them to listen to his word, whether it came through a prophet, 
whether it came through his voice from heaven or whether it came through eventually his own son and his teaching and preaching. And to rejoice in living his good lifestyle, the holy pathway with ears open to him and listening to God. To rejoice. It's a psalm of rejoicing, an occasion of rejoicing, a good reason to rejoice. That's our first response to God giving his word. Second, we move to verses 6 to 10, is to remember. We hear God speaking in his word and we remember. Like in verse 6, God himself remembered specifics about the time that Israel was a slave in Egypt. It wasn't merely that he listed in verse 6. He could have just written it this way, that some abstract memory, such as the general oppression and overall redemption. But look how verse 6 is stated instead. God had vivid memories and called the people to specific memories. Remember the shoulders, relieved of burdens. Remember the hands, freed from baskets. God had specific shoulders from actual burdens in mind. And God had freed certain hands from actual baskets. He had released them from the tasks in slavery in Egypt. In verse 7, when God said his people called to him in distress and he delivered his people from distress, here's his part of what they need to remember. That even though the people hadn't listened to God, God had listened to his people. God called them to remember the details of his rescue. When you call to me, God says, I come and rescue you, as he says here in verse 7. In distress you called and I delivered you. That can carry forward to remembering the specifics of our damage and slavery to sin. We remember the burden that it is, as it were, like the shoulders and how it feels in our hands, the baskets, to use the imagery of our, our psalm. We remember the damage and the difficulty of our slavery to sin. We remember the pain. We remember the things that it caused. We also remember the cross that set us free and can remember the specifics of the cross. We remember the sadness and our lowest moments. We also remember the nails that set us free. We can connect our own pain with the pain of our our Savior, the pain of our wrongdoing and the crown of thorns that it took to release us. We read back over the gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of the manner in which God redeemed us. We remember our pain. We remember the pain of our redemption. We move ahead now to verse 8 of our Psalm 81. When God asked his people to hear him, Hear, O my people, while I admonish you, O Israel, if you would but listen to me. The people wouldn't listen, clearly, is the implication of verse 8. What was it that God wanted to say that they wouldn't hear? Verse 9, we basically get a repeat of the first commandment, which is, of course, you shall have no other gods before me. Here in verse 9, God phrased it this way, There shall be no strange god among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign god. It's similar, you see, to the first commandment. Why is that? In order to explain why, God here in verse 10 repeated what he had previously written in the preface to the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. But here, God adds something gracious about what it means to be people of this God who brings his people out of slavery. Listen to the end of verse 10. A a twist or a shift here just contained within Psalm 81, not contained within the Ten Commandments. Listen to this at the end of verse 10. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. And Consider the abundance of God's provision being stated in, in this statement of God's word. He wants them to remember. Remember the God, he's the God who brings them out of slavery. He's the God who causes abundance for them. 
opening their mouths, and he would fill it. Whatever God gives is always for our good. When he gave commands, it's for our good. He said as much in Deuteronomy 6, 24, the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are to this day. Deuteronomy 6, 24. But we're never able to obey. Isn't that the lesson of the psalm, if you pick that up? We are to remember the provision of God was not based on our obedience. The people of God were not obedient. We're never able to obey sufficiently on our own. Rather, the provision of God comes from elsewhere. It doesn't come from us cleaning our act up and doing better. It comes from God, and it's based on the gift of God through his Son, the Lord Jesus, and the perfect obedience of Jesus on our behalf. Because we're not able to obey, God then provides even that obedience to remember that and remember that our worship is about listening to God and his word and believing his gracious provision is a gift. This is what he's saying to us and we believe that's how our salvation comes. That's about why we gather and worship. Jesus said it this way with regard to the commands of God being summarized, all the commandments of God being summarized this way, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, Matthew 22 37 to 39, it's a summary of the whole law of God, just as we've seen in this second section, verses 6 through 10, where we are to remember. Our third response to listening to God and his word is to repent. We pick up now in verse 11, we read a lament from God. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So that's a call to repent. The significant thing about verse 11 is to notice the phrase, my people. Uh, The issue here is not that the pagan people of the world would turn and start listening to God, that they wouldn't, no. The words, my people, appeared in verse 8 and are appeared again here in verse 11, repeated a third time, you'll see in verse 13. There's a baffled tenderness to God's words here that the recipients of so great a rescue would not stop to listen to their Savior is a remarkably grievous situation. God said it this way, my people would not listen. Why? Because God's people wanted to follow their own way. That's how stuck we were in our sin, we being in the same soup as the people of this Old Testament time. Verse 12, as a result, God gave them over to following their own counsels. That sounds to us like Romans 1, where three times Paul uses the same phrase, gave them over, to refer to unbelievers being given over to their idols. But again, here in our psalm, The surprising thing is that it was God's people who were the ones being given over. Thankfully, God would not leave his people there. God did not leave his people in Egypt. God would not leave his people in idolatry, even though the people had reached a point of, clearly, not listening to God. Verse 13, God expressed his grieving again, and God was shown to be more ready to rescue his people than his people were to repent. This is echoed when... God sent his son Jesus into the world, and when Jesus preached his messages, did the people listen to Jesus? Not as we would expect and hope. Consider the grief in the statement of Jesus that sounds like what we've been studying here in our psalm. Matthew 23, 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that killed the prophets and stoned those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Matthew 23, 37. Sounds like what we've been studying here. My people would not listen. If my people would but listen, 
Sounds like the grief statement of Jesus there. We continue here now in verse 13 of our psalm. There's still time to repent, though. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. Remember the concern in verse 8b. Oh, Israel, if you would but listen to me. But as we've already said, they would not. Verse 14, God would be willing to subdue any enemy. There will come a time for God to act as judge of the nations. In verse 15, God would respond to those who hate him and give them a fate that would last forever, that he can and will judge his enemies. He's capable of protecting his people from outside enemies. And he's even able to protect his people from the inside enemies, their own selves. In verse 16, God would treat his people with love and mercy. With sin removed, God would then be able to bless by feeding his people with the finest of wheat and satisfying his people with honey from the rock, in verse 16. Verse 16, but he would feed you with the finest of the wheat and with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. And that's how the psalm ends. I would satisfy you. It should be that I would kick you out because it's people who wouldn't obey. But again, we see this fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the crisis of Psalm 81 is clear and repeated. It's provoked by people who would not listen to God. Because they did not listen, God took away their king, their temple, their city, their nation. We know the history. But God has not utterly abandoned his people. It's clear, and even in the psalm. He's a covenant-keeping God of faithfulness. He will still bless them. He will still speak his word to them. But it's clear that they won't listen. And so God must provide a king and a substitute who will do for the people what the people won't and can't do for themselves. They need an obedient king, one who will also come and save God's people from their own disobedience, from their own failure to listen to God and his word. God must be the strength of his people when we are weak. That's how the psalm began. Sing aloud to God our strength. He is our strength. We don't have strength in our own selves. So Jesus came in order to obey where we could not obey and to fulfill God's law for us with perfect obedience. Let me just take you to one clear example. Remember how Jesus was tempted three times? Tempted to sin but did not sin. He did the right thing. He did the righteous and holy thing each time. What if we were to find hints of all three of those temptations in our psalm? They're here. First, Jesus, after fasting 40 days, you remember, was tempted to turn stones into bread. Here, God promised in Psalm 81, verse 16, to give people bread they need. In fact, the finest of wheat that you could use to then break down into flour and turn into bread. Second, Jesus was tempted, remember, to throw himself down off the pinnacle of the temple. What would that prove? It refused to do so because the Lord, it would put the Lord God to the test. God promised to preserve and protect his people who do not put him to the test. And here in Psalm 81, verse 7 said, He tested his people at the waters of Meribah. And the third temptation was, Jesus was tempted to have, as if the devil could provide this, all the kingdoms of the earth. If only he would worship the devil. God promised abundant blessings to those who worship him alone. As we see in Psalm 81, verses 9 to 10, that they are not to have another God. There shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So Jesus is the king who always listened to God. He always did the will of God. 
the only one who always did the will of God. Hebrews 10, 5 through 7 says that Jesus came in order to do God's will. At the transfiguration, when Jesus became bright as an angelic being, it was then that God the Father declared, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Matthew 17, 5. About whom else did he ever say that? It's Jesus alone who fulfilled God's law and pleased God by doing so. God the Father also in that same chapter, Matthew 17, said to the disciples, listen to him, referring to Jesus, listen to Jesus. That's the disciples must listen to the good news of the gospel Jesus had come to bring for sinners. Jesus is the righteous king who kept the law perfectly for his people, became our substitute, became our sacrifice. That Jesus fulfilled the law by offering himself as the full and final sacrifice for us as his people. He's the solution to the crisis of Psalm 81, the crisis of the people not listening to God's word. Jesus is the one who listened. Jesus is the one who obeyed. Jesus is the one who died in obedience, died for our sins. Jesus is the one who victoriously rose again and who ever now lives for us in God's presence, soon to come for us. What have we seen that the centerpiece of our worship in Psalm 81 is when we listen to God and his word. We fail to do so. God has rescued us through Jesus, so we rejoice, we remember, and we repent. I have these two concluding applications for us. Number one, hope in God. Remember that Psalm 81 is a psalm used in festivals for celebration. It's because of the victory seen in the powerful ending. He would feed you with the finest of wheat, and with honey from the rock I would satisfy you. It's a victorious, powerful ending to the psalm, ending to a song that they would sing in the festivals. God's message to us is clear. God can bring hope out of the darkest situation. He can feed us with the finest of wheat, though we're ones who did not listen to God's word. He can be honey out of rock. That's a symbol of something. It's a symbol of God's grace and the resources that are available. God is not lacking power. He can be honey out of a rock. He's He's not lacking compassion. He can provide the sweetness of honey from a rock. God gives the best of gifts. It's not some other substances coming out of the rock. It's a good gift. God brings the sweetest things out of the harshest things, such as rock. He brings his people gifts out of what is a foreboding circumstance. He fulfills his promises in situations that are completely unpromising. It's a call to us to put our hope in God. Second and lastly, you might have guessed this, listen to God. It's a clear call from this psalm. It's describing the dangers and the grief of people who won't listen to God and the damage that comes. And so it's a call to us to, by the grace of God through Christ Jesus, because we're made alive, because we're his, to go ahead and listen to Christ and his scriptures Listen in our own scripture reading. Listen in personal praying. Listen in family scripture and family praying. Listen to God in church worship. Good listening is like fine-tuning a radio station. For good results, you can listen to only one station at a time. Trying to listen to somebody speak while also reading something else is like trying to receive two radio stations at the same time, and the result is only distortion and frustration. Listening implies and requires a choice of where to place our attention. 
to tune into God and what he says in his word, we must first choose to put away all that would divide our attention. That might mean laying down the burdens of last week. That might mean moving away from the pressures of anticipated next week. It might need set aside the thoughts of now going on in our minds, giving our full attention to God in his word and his worship. And at the pace that we live our lives, it might take some gearing down and gearing over to prepare ourselves to be in God's worship, to be in his presence, whether it's collectively or individually in your personal times of prayer and Bible reading, to shift gears and slow oneself down and be ready to listen to what God has to say to us in his word. It's going to have to take a decision, a decision to listen to God, followed by whatever effort it takes to be able to listen. That's the application, to listen to God. It's the heart of worship. It's the message of Psalm 81. And as Jesus said, Matthew 13, 9, he who has ears, let him hear. Let's pray. Father, draw near to us. Give us through Christ those ears that 